Good morning. Good morning, and happy Mother's Day again. Um, but not just happy Mother's Day to all moms, but happy Mother's Day to all people. Um, happy Mother's Day to everyone who's here, from our youngest, our youth, if there's some children in here, to the oldest one here. Um, as we talk about Mother's Day and as we talk about true beauty today, um, I want the, you to know that the context is about all of us. It's about God's church. It's about what God wants for all of his people. Now, specifically, the illustration for us comes today from scripture about wives and about women and about how God measures true beauty. I mean, how would you measure true beauty? Now, how do you normally measure beauty? I think we look into our world and, and there's different ways that, that true beauty is seen. You know, um, for us as human beings, of course, I think we kind of know what a beauty contest looks like. Uh, but in the animal kingdom, okay, so the human kingdom, we know, you know, there's beauty contests and things like that. But, but in the animal kingdom, you know, the true beauty is actually the opposite of what we have as human beings. So in the animal kingdom, the male is often the more beautiful animal, right? And so we have the peacock up here, right? And so the male peacock usually has a, a beautiful blue body and, and beautiful feathers, and he flaunts his stuff. You know, why? To attract the female, right? So, so the guy's hitting on the girls in a different way in you know, the animal kingdom. Then there's the, the, um, the next one, of course, is very famous, is the, the lion, right? And who has the beautiful hair, right? <laughs> right? Who has the do? It's the guy, right? So the long flowing hair attracts the female, okay? And then um, maybe you like to eat the next one, but um, the pheasant, all right? And then, you know, who's the, the, the sort of the skinny and the unattractive one? It's the woman, but, uh, <laughs> Right? Okay, the, the guy is the, the handsome gun there. And so in the animal kingdom, it's usually the male that's more beautiful. And here's the coup de grace to prove it, all right? Here's the next one. In the animal kingdom, yes, the gorilla, all right? So, so the gorilla male is more beautiful than the female. And uh, we can certainly tell that there. Um, <laughs> all right, so at least to them, it must work. All right, and sure, she, she, he, she must be a beauty to him. Um, but God, in the animal kingdom, has made things different. So we have the human kingdom, where beauty is usually seen and imaged by the female. We have the animal kingdom, where the male is usually the image of beauty. But what about God's kingdom? Okay, that's what we're concerned about. What about God's kingdom? How does God measure true beauty? What's really beautiful in God's kingdom? And, and what does true beauty do? And why has God made beauty? Why has God given us a desire for things that are beautiful? And when something's beautiful, what will happen because of that? There's a purpose in everything God does, including beauty. There's a purpose in beauty. And so we're going to look at three purposes of God's beauty today. Three true virtues of genuine beauty. And the first one is this, that true beauty is a powerful witness. 
Beauty is meant to be a witness for the good of God and of his kingdom and for the good of man and woman. And so we read these words, and I'll read them again in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read these words, um, there's one word that always stands out, and it kind of makes me a little nervous. And that word is submissive. Okay? I think that in our world today, and especially in the Western world, the idea of women being submissive to men is almost offensive nowadays. But it's not changed in God's word. God wants us to recognize that there is this word submissive throughout the Bible. And it's not just submissiveness to women. But rather, God would have us to see that whenever there is that word submissive, there's always a purpose. Submissiveness is not an end. Submissiveness is a means. Submissiveness is a means to a better end that God has put in place. It is his order that certain people be submissive, but it's always for a higher purpose and always for a good purpose. So as we look at these scriptures then, and I get a little bit away from the word submissive, the means, what's the end? You look at it. What's the end of submissiveness here? What's it supposed to be? Do you see it? Somebody's supposed to win here. Somebody's supposed to be won over here. And this is not the winning of where we would think of the normal, the human definition of submission. I win when you submit to me. No, that's not it at all. In fact, it's almost the opposite. That submissiveness is to win over another person to the good of God. In this case, Peter is addressing husbands and wives, so we'll see the husbands later, but he's addressing husbands and wives who may have unbelieving spouses. Husbands and wives who may have unbelieving spouses, or maybe we could even say to those spouses who aren't walking with the Lord. And so to wives he addressed first, and he says, it is your means to win your husband by being beautiful in submissiveness. It is the beauty of your submissiveness. It is the beauty of your respect for your husband. It is the beauty in which you obey the commands of God that God will honor your obedience and therefore be reflected in you as beautiful and your husband will be attracted to that and he will be won over not just to you, though he will, but he will be won over to God himself. That God will win. That he will win that you will win, that everybody will win. God put this in order back in Genesis. And we can't change the order that God has made. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, To the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So Eve had eaten of the fruit. She had sinned. Adam also ate of the fruit. 
he also sent. Both of them are receiving just punishment for their sins. And part of the punishment for the woman was going to be this, that she would have pain in childbearing, though she would still want to have children, and that she would now be, have to be submissive to her husband, but she would have a desire for him. And that could be a great tension. You desire your husband, but the way to win him is by submissiveness. See, a lot of times we desire something, but we don't want the means. We want the end, but we don't want the means. But God is saying that the greater way that he has determined in light of sin of what has happened is that the way that you're going to win your husband over is by showing respect to him, by honoring him, by obeying him when it's correct in God's eyes, and by following the way of God. This is God's punishment to Eve, but it's also God's commandment for all of society, that God has made it so that women might obey. Now, the good news here is that the woman's not alone at all. The woman's not alone at all. In fact, God himself was submissive. God himself was submissive. So we read here, it says, wives in the same way. So we need to ask the question, in the same way as whom? Or in the same way, how do I do this? What's the same way? Well, we have to look at the context. We have to look at the verses that come before verse 1 of chapter 3. So those are the verses at the end of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. So if you turn your Bible back a page or just look back to the previous paragraph, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. And I'll read it. You can follow along. So this is what Peter is referring to. He's saying, in the same way as this, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So in the same way, it goes back to verse 21 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. In the same way as the example of Jesus, in the same way that Jesus submitted his life for the good of us, in the same way that Jesus bore our sins, in the same way that Jesus suffered, in the same way that Jesus was submissive so that we might be able to know the Father, walk in those steps. And so the woman is not alone. God has given to her a Savior who has shown her the way of submissiveness, the way of being gentle, the way of being kind, the way of putting down her life for the sake of her husband. This is beauty. It doesn't seem like beauty, and it doesn't feel like beauty until your husband sees it in the attitude that you have because you are trying to be like Jesus to him. Is it easy? No, it's not. It's not easy for anybody. But we have to always remember it was never easy for Jesus either. If we go back to the Old Testament, we see a description of what Jesus was like in his flesh here on the earth. 
We look back to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 2 and 3. And you have it there on your outline. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 2 and 3. Um, would you read it with me? And we'll read it together out loud. Let's begin. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. Jesus was not beautiful. Jesus had nothing there that we would say that he was beautiful or majestic. He was a man. He was a human, just like us. And the beauty of Jesus was something different than his outer shell that God gave to him. Something different than just the way he looked. But he had power in his life, and we know that. And the woman has power in her life, and she knows this. And the power is true beauty. And the power is the power to change a life. That's what beauty is for. Ladies, the purpose of your beauty, both outwardly and inwardly, is to change lives for good. God wants to use beauty in the same way that Jesus used his beauty to change a life. It is a most powerful witness, a wonderful way to show other people, especially your husband, the love of God that is in you. Now, true beauty is, first of all, a powerful witness. But secondly, true beauty is a reflection from the heart and from the spirit. True beauty is from the ref a reflection of the heart and of the spirit. I, um, I have the privilege often of doing weddings, and um, I don't know if I've told you this story before, but uh, I did a wedding for this couple many years ago, and um, Carol and I both agree that this bride, even before her wedding, is one of the most beautiful women we've ever met. All right? She's just naturally beautiful. She's just very, very pretty. And, um, and we've known her for many years, and, and, um, and so we're at her wedding, and, and of course, as the, the pastor, I'm waiting there at the front with the, with the, the groom, and uh, the father is bringing down his wife, or his wife, and, um, and so they get to the front, all right? And, um, and being up there, I get to hear everything that's going on, okay? And so she gets there, she gets to the front, her father lets go of her, he, she goes to her groom, and she whispers to him, and nobody else can hear this um, probably but me, and she says to him, am I pretty? And I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm the pastor, and, and I want to go, well, yeah, you know, you've always been pretty, right? And yet, here she was on her wedding day, bright, and, and already a beautiful person on the outside. And I guess you might even say, as a bride, there was that other glow that happens on that day to make her beauty even shine out. And yet, inside of her was a need to know something else, that she was beautiful. And I believe that this is a cry of every heart, that even though you may think or even know that you're beautiful on the outside, 
you and I need a constant reassurance that there is something more to us that is more beautiful than just what people see. And our groom, our heavenly groom, Jesus Christ, looks at us and he sees a beauty deeper than what can be on the outside. He sees a beauty that is on the inside. And this is a beauty that no one can take away. This is a beauty that will never go away. And this is the one that God wants everyone to have. And so God uses women to show us this. And so we read in these words now, in verses 3 through the first part of verse 5, Your beauty, ladies, should come not from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of greater worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. The way they used to make themselves beautiful. And so God would have us to look at these words and realize that there is something here that teaches us about true beauty. Because he uses the word your beauty here, Peter does, your beauty should come not from outward adornment, but rather it should come from the inner self in verse 4, in the inner self. Now, literally, this word's inner self means hidden man of the heart. So if you look into the original language, there's more words than inner self. And the words would be literally translated the inner man of the heart meaning that what happens within women happens in all people, in men as well. It could also be translated, instead of inner self, it could be translated inner man. And so this is our humanity in all of us as women and as men, is that God wants us to know that there is a beauty that is to be that which is hidden in the heart. And the heart is the true character of the person. And this is where God sees beauty. And this is where we want to know that we have beauty. Um, back in early college days, I, I met a, a young lady. Her name was Michelle. And, and she was also very pretty. And as friends, we were talking. And I, and I said to her, I said, you know, you're very pretty. And she said, and she responded in something I will always remember. And she responded and she says, I wish I wasn't. I said, what? And, and she goes, I wish I wasn't pretty. And I said, but why? And she says, well, you know, guys come and they talk to me and guys come to me and they'll ask me out or they'll, you know, try to get to know me. And I always wonder, I always wonder if they're coming to me because I'm a person who they want to get to know or if they're just coming to get to know me because I'm pretty. And that, that really stuck with me. Was that she wanted to know she was liked and wanted to be known for the person that she was. So she would give up being pretty to be known and cared about just as a human being. You think about it, do you want to be, I mean, it's not wrong to want to be pretty on the outside, but is that what you want to be the way that people just see you? Don't you want to be loved, not because you're pretty, but because you're a person? Because there's something inside of you? 
because there's something of value. And this is what God is saying, is that the true beauty that is within us is our true treasure. It is our internal treasure. It's not meant just for women. It's also meant for men. Is that our hearts are our true character. It's what we are. And, and our hearts, just as they beat, can continue to grow. They can either become weak or they can become strong. And so God wants us, our inner man, this heart, to grow strong. It is our character. But how do we make it grow strong? What can we do? What are the exercises that strengthen the inner self and make a heart healthy? Peter says, it is the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. It is the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And this word spirit means it's, it's that which breathes. The word means breath or a current of air. And it refers to the fact that as we breathe, as beings of God, we can have rational thoughts in our breath as we, just as we are alive. And this word only refers to beings like angels or even demons. It refers even to God and, and to his ability as a spirit to breathe and to have choice, and it refers to people. And so for you and for me, to be able to have the spirit means to be able to have rational choices. And so this is how we affect our hearts, through the choices that we make, through our spirit. And so the choice that God would have us to make, according to Peter here, is that we choose to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, to the woman, he is directing effectively the, the relationship that she has with her husband. But again, this applies to all people, men and women, boys and girls, single and married alike. God wants all of us to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Jesus had a gentle and quiet spirit. You see Matthew eleven twenty nine there on your outline. Um, let's read it together. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus chose in his spirit to be gentle and humble in heart. It was always in his spirit. Even when he was in heaven, before he became a man, he was gentle and humble in spirit. And as God in coming here to give us his humility and to show us his meekness, he said that if you come to me, you will find rest for your souls. And this is the internal treasure that God gives to us in Christ, that we can be like him, that we can find rest for our souls and give rest to other people and their souls by being gentle and humble. But it's a choice we have to make. It's not something natural. And we can make that choice because it's part of our spirit. It's part of our breath. And it's a willful choice that we can make. But it's the most beautiful inward treasure. God also would have us to know that another quality of the heart and the spirit is that as we build it up in Christ, it is unfading. It is unfading. Notice that again in verse 4. Instead, your beauty should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty. It means it will never go away. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30, the Bible says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. 
beauty on the outward side is fleeting. It's going to go away. But there is a beauty that will never go away. And that is the beauty of the heart. A beauty that will be eternal when it is also internal in Christ in us. And so God would have us to have this unfading beauty. God would have women to have this unfading desire to have a beauty that will never go away. And that is the beauty of the heart. And so we have an internal treasure. We have an unfading treasure. And it is also something, though, that we can add to. Notice that uh, Peter says in verse 5, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. So beauty can be made. That's interesting because, you know, in our world, um, for women, we know, we call it makeup, right? You know, it's makeup that you can put on and it helps to accentuate your beauty. Um, But then there's also something that we all do, put on a mask and we are sort of made up. You know, we, we just sort of make up what we want other people to see of us. But this is something totally different here. This is something that can be made that is lasting. And notice again that we can make ourselves beautiful. Women can make themselves beautiful by doing the willful thing, the choice, the hard thing. And that is just as Sarah did to her husband. She respected him. She loved him. She cared for him. She submitted to him. She had this inner treasure within her. I don't know if you remember the story in Genesis, but Abraham was traveling with his wife, and they're both like in their 90s, and they're going to go into this land, and, and Abraham is afraid that the, 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 the Pharaoh or the one in the land is going to take away his wife. And so he says, you know, you are so beautiful. I'm afraid that he's going to want you as your wife, so say you are my sister. So here she is about 90 years old. And what does Abraham say of her? You are so beautiful. I'm afraid that the king of this land is going to want to take you as his wife. So, so let's lie and say that you're, you're my sister, not my wife. And so, so this is something that beauty, you know, even when you're 90, there's a beauty of the heart that is seen that Abraham saw in Sarah and that God would have us to see in our wives We should not encourage our wives to be beautiful on the outside if that detracts from their beauty on the inside. There's nothing wrong with encouraging your wife to be beautiful on the outside. A long time ago, my mom um, said something to me. Um, She said, you know, Curtis, you're going to have to find a really beautiful wife and marry her. And I said, thanks, Mom. Um, But why? And she said, so that your kids will have a chance to be normal. It's like, okay, um, thanks, Mom. Uh, that, that's my mom's humor, all right? Because my mom knows I'm the most handsome man that was ever born, all right? Um, well, that was her humor. But I thank God, and I praise God, that God gave me the most beautiful woman in the world to marry, to be my wife. And, and to give me kids that are normal. <laughs> God wants us to know that that's what true beauty is for. It is to develop a partnership. 
Now, to the wives, of course, that partnership is to their husband. But we read this here as we continue in verse 5. They, meaning wives like Sarah, they were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands are now brought into this distinctly and specifically. Abraham is brought into the passage. All husbands are brought into the passage. Husbands are addressed here and told how they are to treat their wives. And so we see here that God is addressing a partnership. And what is this partnership for? True beauty develops partnerships for holiness. True beauty develops partnerships for holiness. Sarah treated Abraham with respect. How? By calling him her master. Some of your Bibles say, will say her Lord. That was just the normal, common way of address in the culture of that day, to show respect. And so God wants us to know that the wife is called to show her husband a respect as the man of the house. Now the husband is given the responsibility to lead. The wife is given the responsibility to follow. But as the leader, the husband cannot force the wife to submit to him. I like what Martin Luther said. He said to the husbands, you will never succeed by blows in making a wife pious and submissive. If you knock one devil out, you will knock two devils in. In other words, you can't make your wife be submissive. Actually, the truth is the same way, that just as wives win their husbands over by being submissive, men win their wives over by being gentle. Men win their wives over by having a quiet spirit too. Not by yelling and not by demanding and not by trying to pull out the authority card. Because it says in verse 7, husbands in the same way. Now we've, we've heard those words before, right? We heard them in verse, in verse um, 1 for the women, wives in the same way. And so Peter is referring again back to the end of chapter 2. So he did it with the wives when he compared wives' reaction to their husbands by the gentleness of Jesus and by the submissiveness of Jesus. So now in the same way, Peter is drawing men's attention and saying, you are to be like Jesus was to his bride. You are to be like Jesus was to your wife. You are to bear her sins. You are to love her and help her and protect her. You are to respect her and honor her. You are to treat her not as your own. You are to treat her not as your own, but rather as God's own. You are to treat her as God's own. You know, I, I, I don't know um, when or if my daughter will will ever, you know, have a boyfriend. I discourage it often, um, <laughs> as often as I can. But I realize that someday, you know, um, my wishes may, may not be, come true. Uh, but actually, that's not my wish, right? Uh, my wish is that Angela will find a, a great and a godly man to marry. 
But I imagine that Angela would be, you know, bringing this man home to meet me someday, and I will talk to him privately, and I will tell him how I feel about my daughter, and tell him how I feel about anyone who might hurt her in any way. Um, another young couple whose wedding I did many years ago told me about um, her father. Um, oh, no, I guess it was, yes, it was, no, it was his, his, um, his father because he had a sister. And so he told me that his father got all dressed up one day and um, had a gun, and, and, and a real gun, and got dressed up as a cowboy and, um, and went and had a picture taken of himself with his gun and then had a full-size blown-up made of it and pasted it on a door in a, in a room. And so when his daughter would have a date, um, before they would be able to go on this date, uh, the father would bring this young man into this room, and he would talk to this young man and say, you know, I care very much about my daughter, and I expect you to treat her very good, and I'd like you to turn around and see this picture. And he would turn around and see this father with the gun, and the, father, and the boy would be, of course, scared, and he would turn around, and the father says, and I have this gun, and I know how to use it. <laughs> and if you do anything to my daughter that hurts her, you'll find out. Now, God feels that way about his daughters. He loves them, and he will do everything to protect them. And this is how a husband is to treat his wife. He is to protect her as God's daughter. And, And not just as God's daughter, but as one who is a joint heir of the grace of life. Everything in Christ that the husband has is everything the wife has. She is an equal to him in God's eyes in every way except in the flesh. She's the weaker vessel. She is weaker physically and with her other feminine traits. But that's it. That's where she's different. In her flesh. But inside of her, she is exactly the same as every man, deserving of every respect, having received every blessing in Christ, because because she is a daughter of God. And so God would have us as husbands to look at our wives not as weaker vessels, but as joint heirs of life. And if we don't, then it's going to greatly affect the spirit of our own lives, the spiritual part of who we are. Because Peter says that if we don't do this, then our prayers will be hindered. Because what it means is that then, you know, if if we have conflict with our wives, if we're bitter towards them, if we don't respect them, if we don't forgive them, if we don't treat them with the gentleness that they need and that they deserve, then, then we won't even want to pray. And that's what Peter's saying here, is that when we get distracted by the things of the flesh and, and our relationship with our wives isn't good, then we don't even want to pray for them. We don't even want to pray at all. But if we treat them with respect, and we treat them with honor, and we treat them with love, then we pray with them. So husbands, I, w- I want to encourage you today 
to spend some time praying with your wife. I want to encourage you today, sometime, just to take her hand. And if she's a mom, tell her what a beautiful mom she is. And I want you to pray with her, thanking God for her. I want you to pray with her, acknowledging your need for her as your wife. I want you to pray with her in words that you need to say, whether it be to express love or to ask for forgiveness or to give forgiveness. I want you just to pray with her. It doesn't have to be long, okay? But I just want you to get back to where God wants us to be. Because you go, well, how do I get that back? You know, suppose I've been really bad. Suppose I, I have been angry. Suppose I haven't been the kind of husband I need to do. Then what do I do? How do I begin to do it? <laughs> That's the way you begin to do it. Hold her hand and pray with her. I can't think of anything that will begin to heal a relationship faster or better than that to begin to pray, to do the things. See, see, Peter says this is what happens if you don't do it. So if we just reverse it and we do it, then it will happen to build the relationship back up to what God wants, to have inner beauty, to have a partnership for holiness. The number one purpose of marriage, and everybody remember this, whether you're married or not, because if you are someday, then the number one purpose of marriage is this, Holiness. The number one purpose of marriage is holiness. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. You have it there on your outline as well. And we'll close with these words. Would you read them with me? Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to resent her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So what is the purpose of Christ with his church? To make her holy. And if that's his purpose, that's the purpose of marriage. It's for a holy relationship, a holy partnership, and wives, I would say the same thing, that that is true for you as well, to build a holy relationship with your husband. And so as we go out today and as we remember our moms and as we think of beauty, let us remember this, that it is for all of us to have beauty in our hearts. It is for all of us to know the powerful witness of beauty, for all of us to know that beauty is something that is inward, and for all of us to know that beauty is something that God would have us to have so that all of us together will become more like Jesus, holy and blameless, without spot or wrinkle. It's not easy. It's a lifelong process. But with God's grace, it will happen. Let us pray.